This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Simon Dia, head of ASO at AptWeek. Simon, welcome to the PSFF's podcast. Thank you for having me. Terrific. Thank you for coming this August. I know everybody is on vacation this month, but you've got your invitation and you're here. Thank you. Oh, My pleasure. All right. So, okay. Have you ever had these moments when you're searching for a well-known app on the App Store and all of a sudden, you see other apps show up in the paid search results. And you wonder, hmm, somebody's trying to piggyback that app. Well, that's right. Apple App Store guidelines for search ads platform do allow marketers to bid on brand keywords. And it doesn't matter if they own that brand name or not. So today, Simon will tell us about how and why you should bid for your brand keywords and more. But as always on this show, before doing all that, let's talk about you, Simon, first. Please tell us about yourself. How did you get into app marketing? Um, so that's that sort of a, a funny story. I was basically um, looking when I was studying, uh, wanting to work uh, in the video game industry, and I ended up uh, doing an internship in marketing at a small mobile game studio in the Netherlands. Um, and that's where I got to do so many different things, including ASO. Um, and, um, th that was kind of the first step. And then, uh, about a year later, when I, uh, looked for my first full-time job, uh, I ended up joining Deezer, a French music streaming service, uh, where they needed someone to, uh, help with ASO, SEO, and business tracking, uh, advertising tracking. And that's basically like, how I got to find out everything growth related that I know. Is it like Spotify in France, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a French Spotify, less known wo worldwide, but uh, quite popular in France. Gotcha. Okay, um, I remember last year when we talked with Marie from your team, she gave us a quick sketch of what is App Tweak. Just for the benefit of folks who didn't have a chance to listen to her, what is App Tweak and perhaps any recent updates in the company you would like to mention? Uh, sure. So, App Tweak is an ASO and market intelligence tool uh, first. Uh, and we are uh, a growing company. Uh, we've been around since 2014, uh, since I recall, for what I recall. Uh, we've started with keyword optimization and we've built a complete platform around all the data uh, that marketers may want to use for ASO and more, since now we're expanding to uh, other side of uh, app marketing. Uh, we're tracking more uh, app uh, on uh, Facebook Ads Library and others. Uh, we're uh, expanding in market intelligence, compiling more data thanks to our amazing data science team. And in terms of 
uh, recent news, uh, I think the most important recent news we've had is that we raised quite a lot of money earlier this year because we're aiming for a new stage of our growth. Uh, and so I'm uh, piggybacking this to also give a quick uh, word that we're hiring in many different positions, uh, listing all of them would be hard. So uh, if anyone listening to this uh, is interested in new challenges, head over to uh, apptweaks.com, find our jobs page, and uh, you'll find everything there. Congrats. That's, that's always exciting when it's happening. Uh, you're going up and uh, um, venture fund is always the your fuel to uh, fulfill your ideas, to build new tools, to build new services. That's awesome. Um, so uh, by this point, uh, all of us know that late April, April, uh, this April, Apple finally introduced iOS 14.5 which was delayed for a number of months because it was supposed to be introducing not only new features for the um, iOS users, but some features that are related directly to the way how developers should be interacting with mobile users. And specifically, I'm talking about ATT, Apple, so app uh, transparency, um, app tracking transparency framework that requires some developers to ask users permission to track their data. So uh, how would you estimate, how does it change, um, how did it influence the Apple search as platform and its significance for the app marketers? Um, so the funny thing is that um, if, if you look at the direct impact of ATT on Apple search ads, it's almost zero because Apple Search Ad was a one marketing channel that was going to be exempted out of it. And instead of users having to agree to tracking when they open an app in Search Ads, you have to opt out from your phone settings. Uh, but it, it did change a lot for marketers because uh, that has meant that everyone was starting to uh, work with the assumption that they would lot, lose a lot of tracking data from any other advertising channel uh, and starting seeing search ads as the best option, at least in the short term, to keep uh, performance marketing and keep conducting performance marketing on some channels like it used to be before iOS 14.5 uh, when they had to also rework the rest for many different channels. So this one, this was kind of a shelter, uh, shelter network, where a lot we we've heard quite a few people say they would increase their search ads budget as a way to uh, know what they were going into uh, at least for a while and uh, being able to understand what would happen with other channels. Right and. Uh... That was an initial reaction. I, I think by now, uh, it's August, uh, uh, everybody who worried about the impact uh, should get their mind uh, by now because this is like they've got a chance to test the impact for a number of months and see, like, uh, not rely on the expectations and forecasting, but you know, from actual experience to see what's going on with their user acquisition campaigns and. Um, how many users are actually saying no to app tracking uh, and just uh, adjust their um, 
app user acquisition campaigns uh, framework. So let's switch the gears a little bit. Uh, well, we're moving swiftly through the 20s of the 21st century, right? And you don't get to hear this word in your, you know, daily news feed, cannibalism. Fortunately, we will not be talking about cannibalism in its original meaning, but keywords cannibalism, specifically for the app marketing purpose. Um, so um, it's about the Apple search ads campaigns when you're bidding on your brand keywords while you're organically already number one for the, the same keywords. So you may go like, why would you do that, right? What, what's, what's, what's the reason? What's, what's the point? So what should brands know about these campaigns? What should they factor, factor in? And how they can actually measure results and see if they're actually moving in the right direction? So the first thing they should know is that um, cannibal keyword cannibalization is not only about their brand name. It's the most obvious case. But if you're number one for a generic keyword, uh, then it's also if you start bidding on it, you can also ex expect that there will be some sort of cannibalization, because basically it's just going to be any if you end up paying for a download that you could have gotten for free just by uh, having done certain uh, marketing efforts. Uh -huh. um, now, whether you should do it or not is always kind of the conundrum. Uh, there's the pressure of seeing when uh, someone else is bidding on a keyword for which you're number one, especially when it's your brand. Uh, if you're on Netflix and you see HBO rank for your name before you do, right. um, you, you are definitely feeling attacked and you have to think, okay, what is the risk that someone is going to uh, go to my competitor instead of me when I was the um, obvious search intent? Uh, and that's where it, it becomes much more complex because you have to think, am I really the search intent or is it just that people want something that they perceive is going to be what I uh, offer? Um, so you may think, okay, I have to defend myself. And at the same time, when you do, you end up thinking, okay, but how much did I defense did I actually need to do? Um, and so that's something I've, uh, started covering in the past few months, um, in trying to come up with some very rough mathematical model to estimate, uh, the actual cost of uh, a defended install, uh -huh. uh, because if, if you look in Apple search ads at your brand defense campaigns, you're going to find very low CPIs. Uh, usually these are campaigns that convert very well, and Apple is going to make sure that you can, you, you can defend yourself well. But that's just because it's in their interest that you don't pay too much, but you easily agree to pay as a result. Uh -huh. um, and with with the model that I've developed, basically the challenge was to say, how can we make certain assumptions on how competitors are going to convert for our brand name? Because the difference between how I convert for my brand and how they do is going to be the difference in these were the installs I needed to defend and these are the installs I didn't need to defend and I just cannibalized. Um, and, and so with that, we, we just try to 
come up with a number and here I have to insist it's an estimate it's just meant to help uh, come up with uh, a more objective opinion of is it worth paying for your own brand to, to say this is the actual cost of a defended install right because there's no way you can see what's going on in the heads of your competitors what they are calculating what numbers do they see but you can make the reasonable assumption um okay if in your in, uh, in your example it's netflix so you're kind of safely assuming this is your loyal folks people who do love your as netflix they're not just one to watch any movie they're going for stuff that are presenting on your platform so they're you're kind of uh safe not to beat for your keyword uh but that may man like I think it should be like keyword by keyword uh, case because uh, um, just like you're saying, they, if they're seeing me and somebody who's doing the same stuff that I'm doing, uh, uh, shooting great uh, video content, uh, what user will be doing it in this case? Yeah, will he I go to me or just switch to that other option, just you know, for the sake of curiosity, right? And that's also where you need to to keep a track keep track of who is attacking you, uh, because again, if I'm Netflix and I'm seeing HBO, I might think these guys are serious. If I'm seeing uh, a, a small uh, pirate app that's been based on pirated shows on YouTube, um, I don't think it's possible anymore. But just for the sake of argument, I, I won't feel the same level of threat. And so th this is where you have to think, okay, not every threat is equal and not every threat requires defense. Um, and on the other hand, you also have to think um, that, yeah, even people look a lot for brands, but sometimes they look for a brand just as a way to think they know the product and they want to see their options while others are looking for a brand and are already um, determined to download only that app. Right. If you if you have reached this point of Xerox uh, being uh, the uh, synonym for uh, doing copies, or Google being a synonym for searching, people may be using your brand keyword just like uh, in the broader sense, not you, but uh, just to get the bunch of uh, options for watching movies or listening music or stuff, and that can be the threat uh, threat because this is their intent wasn't to watch your stuff, but to go to your competitors. Yeah. Um, okay, switching the sides. So what if a brand that marketing team wants to hunt for the competitor's brand keywords? Will your model work backwards? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would not necessarily use a model anymore because basically if you're not ranking number one organically, there's not going to be a question of how, how much cannibalization are you going to do? But yeah. you can use the same sort of assumptions of thinking, okay, if I'm trying to target another brand, what are going to be my options? And obviously you want to target someone who's going to be perceived uh, who, or, or rather someone whose product will uh, look similar to yours or your product will look similar to theirs as a way of convincing those who are not uh, buying the brand, but only buying the product. Mm -hmm. um, Another option you have, this is something I've seen more recently as well, 
is that sometimes you, you may want to buy another brand uh, as a way to build your own notoriety. Uh, and here, what you, what you can think of doing is buying a, more of an adjacent brand than a competitor. Uh, and then you, won't, you probably won't be stealing uh, installs. Um, people would either download both apps or they would just get to hear from, about you but not download you. But it can still be a way of uh, making your product known. Um, so if we think about staying with video, but moving to YouTube, maybe some uh, a video editing app that wants to have a quick upload to YouTube would be interesting in buying the brand, uh, the brand keyword YouTube, just as a way to say, if you are looking for uploading your own video and editing your video uh, before you upload to YouTube, this is my product. Um, and so this is also a situation where Apple search ads can be interesting because you might not rank organically well for YouTube, but you will have a chance to use their popularity to make your product known. So essentially it's about uh, elevating your brand recognition. Absolutely. All right. Um, uh, whenever I talk to an app marketer, every once in a while pops up this topic of creatives. Uh, uh, the set of uh, graphics and text, like uh, the whole you're using for your um, ad campaigns, because this is one of the major levers that marketers had, have when it comes to advertising their apps. Um, any thoughts about creative sets along the lines of what you were just discussing? Um, uh, yeah, I, I would say yes. With Apple search ads specifically, creative sets have been around for a while and I've seen in the past some um, some very smart creative sets being published where basically um, people started with creatives that were um, kind of selling the overall uh, proposition of their app, but also added some specific creatives, specific screenshots toward the end of the gallery uh, that would target more of a specific user persona. Uh, and so, for instance, if you have a diet and exercising app, um, mm -hmm. you could be interested in having a, a generic, uh, unique selling proposition of um, get in better shape uh, yeah. uh, and then decline that proposition with uh, some creatives about how you can help um, people uh, having a better diet uh, or people exercise easily with no uh, no material, just exercise from home. And so with that, what you can do in creative sets is going to be uh, play around the order of creatives that appear for a certain mm -hmm. keyword. And so if you're targeting some keywords that are very specific to dieting, then suddenly you want to show the creatives that speak of that specifically first. Uh, and vice versa. If you want to show something about exercising, you, ha you have that option as well. Um, the last thing that uh, I can mention quickly here is also that uh, this is going to become a much larger game because so far it was only available for Apple search ads, but with iOS 15, uh, we're now going to have this feature called custom product pages where people will be able to have different creatives uh, that, um, through a unique landing page in the App Store, 
Uh, and so if you have campaigns from whatever other advertising network that is compatible, uh, where you just want to say, send to this page, instead of showing a very generic uh, set of creatives, you will be able to really tailor what creatives are shown based on where people are coming from. So you're approaching folks on Snapchat and Twitter, on TikTok, and you are talking in different language to these guys. And you want to make sure that the landing page will be along the lines of the same language you're using in, to communicate your app to folks on these platforms. Exactly. And, you, and if I remember correctly, this is up to 35 uh, landing pages. Yes, that's uh, the wonder, initial announcement from Apple. I wonder what, well, why the specific number, <laughs> probably just uh, uh, arbitrary choice. Um, anyway, um, uh, Apple also, uh, also introduced A-B testing. The future of app, app marketers on the iOS side have been waiting, begging for, for years because the Android uh, has been having this feature for a number of years. And that wasn't the case. People were trying to approximate their A-B testing results from Android to iOS, you know, with a mixed success. So now uh, they've got it. Um, I'm not sure when exactly it's going to be released, probably you know, this September, October with the earliest iOS 15. A-B testing will be available to app marketers. So what do you think about this update? Uh, first thing is that as everyone else, it's about time we, we got this uh, toy to play with. Um, high expectations, to be honest, this is more of a dream. Ideals and expectation would be to, to get better statistical reliability in the test results than what we have in Google Play. Uh, now, the announcement itself was quite short. And as a result, I think here it's really Apple copying Google uh, because that can also happen. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, it's still good news that we're getting this. Uh, it's still require, going to require a lot of work to make sense of the results that are being shown because you will have to consider how reliable are these results going to be. Um, and also, it's finally going to help answer the famous question of how similar or different are Android users and iOS users, because we've loved talking about what could these differences be, or at times measure them through very specific cases. But now we're going to see a lot more developers being able to invest in having a different uh, creative experience for iOS and Android by measuring through data, if it's worth showing the same thing or not. Right, from assumptions to data points, to hard data. Uh, now, looking back at your experience as the App Store optimization expert, what would be your suggestions uh, for what ASO mistakes to avoid? Um, I think the, the first one is just don't don't um, don't expect too much out of it. Uh, and the second, uh, just meaning that we, we still see a lot of people only now finding out about ASO and thinking that they can get um, plus 300 percent downloads just out of this um, almost out of thin air. And this is where we have to say, this is going to be a process. You're not going to get a major win from just one time uh, going going here and 
not, and not really being sure, just following basic guidelines. A lot of people are already doing it. So now it's tougher to, to get those super high results. They're still available, but they will take more time. Um, the other mistake I see is a lot of people um, trying to do everything at once and not really uh, adjusting their ASO strategy to the rest of the marketing. And you really have to think, okay, this is going to be, you, you have to synchronize with marketing, uh, with a product as well, to really make sure that here, you're going to do ASO in a consistent way where your message is going to fit what you're trying to, what you're trying to tell users everywhere else. And that it shows the best argument at the best time. Uh, and so th this is where you still have the possibility to unlock growth from ASO, but it's not going to be as simple as just add free keywords like it used to be a few years ago where very few people were doing it. Right. The market keeps growing the number of folks who are doing abstract optimization right at the same moment with you sitting in the offices in the other parts of the world, uh, just making your your work tougher. It's not that easy as it used to be. And having reasonable expectations is always great. It's the, that's the opposite because you're, you're expecting a lot and the, you know, in actuality, you're getting very less. It's better to have the, the, the opposite effect where your expectation is quite modest. And uh, if you're getting results better than you're expecting, it's always, uh, it feels more rewarding experiments tracking the results, um, having a plan, reading uh, experts, um, get, you, get yourself educated and use the, the right tools like you guys provide, for instance. Now, all right, so that was actually the last question about the topic on the table. And now we have a small portion of the show where I'm asking just a few quick questions to, the, to every guest on the show just for the sake of the audience to know them a little bit better. So these are just quick questions. And the first, the first question is this. So what smartphone user is, what smartphone do you have now? So now I mostly use uh, an iPhone 7. Uh, I used to be on Android. Uh, I still have that phone as well because my job requires to be aware of what happens on both OSs. Uh, but um, made the switch to uh, iOS mostly for commodity reasons when I moved he uh, here in Belgium. And um, yeah, using both phones now. All right. So, um, what was your first mobile phone? If you can still remember that model. I, I'm not sure I do. I'm, I'm almost sure I had the, the, the famous unbreakable Nokia, but uh, I, I don't remember the, the, the name, the exact name of the model anymore. Gotcha. That was from the era of Nokia where everybody Seems like everybody had that phone uh, of one of the model, like 3210 or something. 3310, I, I think. Yeah, with a, with a green screen and the better they could last a week or more. Or more. Just an uh, unimaginable thing for a smartphone today. Um, imagine you've left your smartphone at home today. What would be the most missing feature for you? Um. I would say either texting or or music. These are the two, uh, WhatsApp and Deezer are the two apps I use the most. Uh, now, 
when you're looking at your iPhone 7 and you go, would it be great this thing can do uh, something else like uh, on top of what it's been capable of doing up till now, it could be software, hardware, uh, and it not necessarily could be something more, probably less, be not so prominent in your life or you're expecting more features to be useful for you? Um, I think there's not that much more than I want out of my phone. Sometimes it's, um, I'd say it's it's more of how apps are built today, where I, I, I miss having uh, mobile games, for instance, that can really go offline and don't use any data. Uh, because when I, when I travel, um, the, the brand, uh, the network is not always great. And so that's where having something that can just stay active on uh, offline mode is great. Okay, and just very, very, very last question before I let you go. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Um, I would say uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I, I, I'm mostly on these two socials and otherwise through the AppTweak website. Um, our, our customer uh, success team and I work very closely. So uh, if there's ever a question, uh, I'm happy to also uh, answer through, uh, through our team uh, and uh, Intercom. Terrific. Thank you for your time and comment on our podcast, Simon. Thank you. For having me. Bye bye. And bye. that was Simon Tia, head of SO Act Week. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We're list episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. And you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.